0: Salutations fellow sceptics. My name is Ben and I'm an industrial designer specialising in concept generation, 3D modelling and visualisation. My portfolio includes projects ranging from automotive to user interfaces to luxury interiors. Following my own cancellation I founded my own design consultancy Resolu Design. You can see my work at www.resolu.design. You can contact me via benhasmessages at gmail.com. Perhaps you're a property developer needing a 3D model for a client, or you're an entrepreneur with a great idea for a product, but need a designer to make it a reality. Maybe you're an SME needing to generate new concepts to shape the future of your business. Resolu Design has the skills and experience you're after. And you'll finally have found a creative who is as sick as you are of woke overreach and recreational offence. Visit www.resolu, that's R-E-S-O-L-U, Resolute.design to see my portfolio. Or you can email me at benhasmessages, or one word, at gmail.com to get in touch. Can't wait to hear from you.
1: Hello and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 39. I'm Nick Dixon and I'm joined by Toby Young, who's made me do this at an insanely early hour. But coming up, Philip Schofield is gone. Mizzy becomes the most hated person in the country since Matt Hancock. And the DeSantis launch is a disaster. Plus, more stories and of course, Peak Woke. So Toby, and by the way, thanks to Ben for that advert. That was very cool. He came to our Weekly Skeptic live event and how did you feel about the uh the weekly skeptic live toby I thought it was a massive success
0: Yeah it was great you were really good uh, y- y- your your little stand up routine at the beginning in which you warmed up the audience was fantastic you could have gone on all night um and um yeah I thought uh, uh it went pretty well um you did Jordan Peterson um I think that's the first time you've done an impression on stage in front of a live audience that That couldn't have gone better. That was fantastic. Um, And um, yeah, it was a really engaged audience. We had a full house. We had a a fun VIP drinks event afterwards, though some people did complain that... um, Browns in Victoria wasn't their idea of a VIP venue, and next time we do it, we should come up with something something a bit better, a bit more glamorous. So, I, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it, it worked fine, um, but yeah, no, I thought it was a big success, and we should definitely do it again, and we should aim to do you know either once a month or once every six weeks or so. What did you think?
1: Well that's a, a a bit of a diss with the Browns thing yeah the, the vip aspect is just that we're there and it's exclusive it's, it's not really the venue is it it's the, it's, the, it's the it's the exclusivity of it but yeah i see your point i mean maybe we could go more at market with that yeah it was great i mean i love doing this at the bit of the start and i started to think oh wow i should be back doing stand up immediately after just 5 minutes of that i was like I was like, oh, wow, I need to get back and do stand-up again. This, the whole show should just be me doing stand-up. <laughs> just immediately the the feeling of stand-up took over because you can't get that feeling anywhere else. You know, going on TV is like, eh, meh, whatever. But stand-up, when you, it, we had 250 people there and you're back in the zone. And, it, of course, it was highly targeted stand-up. It wasn't my usual club stuff. It was all about, you know, James Dellingpole. But <laughs> it was like, it, it was very specific. But thanks to everyone that came. It was awesome. And sold out, a very successful event. Some people are saying we should go to the 900 next time. What do you think, Toby? Are you ready for the 900 seater?
0: I'm ready for the 900, but I don't know if 900 people are ready for us. Um, uh, I think I think I think we should maybe build up slowly. So the Hippodrome, where I'm doing my live interview with Isabel Oakshot on June 13th. Tickets still available and on Eventbrite. Um, uh, that's got th- that's got a capacity of about 300, 320. So I think maybe we should do. A- and it's a, a proper theatre, unlike the Emanuel Center, where they where it's it was more of a kind of seminar room, wasn't it? They didn't have kind of raked seating. The stage was a bit low. Some people said they couldn't see us properly. But the Hippodrome has got a proper theatre. They do Magic Mike there. You know, five days a week. It's like uh, you know, um, basically the Chippendales. Um, uh, but 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 it's a proper a theater and it's got a slightly bigger capacity so i think our next our, maybe our, maybe our next port of call should be the hippodrome will we be forced to
1: strip as part of the show because that's i'm not sure i'm quite that, that, ready for that, that, that,
0: that i think we, we can sell like vip tickets you can stay on and you and i will then <laughs> do a couple of a blobbindale impression <laughs> <laughs> um
1: all right so we've got that to look forward to yeah anyway great event thanks to everyone that came I think we've pretty much talked about it enough. But, yeah, the rake seating, seating would be something. There was a few people at the back saying they couldn't see, and I, and I didn't really think of that. But Emmanuel Centre is a beautiful venue. But, yeah, perhaps it we is. could do a more targeted, a more sort of yeah perfect venue for this kind of thing. All right. Well, that's we Skeptic It Live. Let's see. Maybe we'll do – I don't know if we'll do one a month. Maybe we'll do one every now and then. Let's see how it goes. And I think we can do the 900 pretty soon. But um, should we start with our story? So, with I mean, a massive story this week, although it's kind of ridiculous that it's so big, is Philip Schofield. I mean, I do get it. He, he, there was this relationship with this young runner. I noticed no one's saying his name, so let's not say his name for legal reasons. But um, then he put out this odd statement, sort of saying, oh, it's all lies and it's all fine and and, G- and good morning Britain, or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. I've never watched it. a was a, was a, a family... I'm thinking, yeah, it's not, not necessarily the word I would use if I was Scopo because his his family don't necessarily seem the most savoury people, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I believe his brother's in a little bit of a pickle. Like, Philip Scopel saying it's a family environment sounds a bit like a threat to me. But, um, I mean, as I said on the TV, I knew, I knew he was a wrong one when he put his hand up that gopher. And Gordon's silence speaks volumes. We haven't heard from Gordon the gopher on any of this, have we? But I watched the um, the Eamon Holmes interview with Dan and that was quite with Dan Watton on GB news. It was pretty interesting. Eamon had a few pops. I liked it. I liked it when he said that he can't even read an auto cue. <laughs> he, he's got wide eyes and he shouts. I love that. It got that dig in there. Just all the built up resentment because there's so many people that seem to whatever Schofield's done. and I'm not, I'm not going to claim, you know, I don't know what he's done exactly, but there's just been an awful lot of people who really hate him.
0: Yeah. A lot of enemies coming out of the woodwork. Um, Clearly, you know hasn't been nice enough to people on the way up, so is paying the price on the way down. Um, the thing which strikes me about this story is the extraordinary similarity to the plotline of the morning show. I don't know if you've ever watched the morning show. It was uh, it's, a, it's a show on Apple TV, one of their best shows actually. Um, it's now there's now been two seasons. A third season is coming up. Stars um, Jennifer Aniston as Holly Willoughby, basically, and Steve Carroll as Philip. Philip Schofield, Um, and um, the show kicks off with a kind of Me Too scandal which does for the male co-host of this very popular networked morning show in the U.S. And it's about the kind of um, blowback from this scandal. Can the show recover? Do they need to replace both presenters or just one of them? Do they need to reboot the show? Do they need to take it off air and relaunch it in another guy's? I mean, all the issues that are being discussed in connection with this episode. And in particular, you know, one of the kind of major plot lines in the morning show is, you know, what did the Jennifer Aniston character know, and when did she know it? Because, you know if she knew it and 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 didn't speak up, um uh, then you know she is um uh, guilty. Uh, by association. So that's kind of one of the major kind of plot lines. And that seems to be, you know, uh, one of the major points of interest in this. What did Holly Willoughby know? And when did she know it? And should she have disclosed what she knew when she knew it? Or did she, did he lie to her? That, and that's very much what Jennifer Aniston says in the morning show. She said, no, he lied to me. I was deceived along with everybody else. I I thought he was my friend, but he turned out to be a monster sort of thing. Not Maybe maybe that's not exactly what Holly Willoughby has said, but, um, but it, it's just the similarity is just absolutely uncanny.
1: Do you think someone leaked leaked it to them and it was feeding them the plot secretly? I mean, that's possible, isn't it?
0: That's possible, but yeah. just
1: copied the plot and made Evan American. Yeah. It's funny that, it, Holly, I mean, I don't get what's so good about either. Now, Philip Schofield was, was pretty good on going live when I was a kid, I guess. And it's very disappointing, all your the people you watched on TV, and this has been remarked on, I'm not the first person to say this, but you had Savile, you had Rolf Harris, Philip Schofield, I'm like... Is there anyone that's just all right, <laughs> like I'm out of my childhood? Not heroes, but people you were watching on the telly. And um, I mean, yeah, the thing though, you think about him, he's not it's like he's that great. I don't understand why. A few things I don't understand. Why it's such a big deal to put, do everything you can to keep Phillips Schofield. And two, why he's able to be, uh, why, why they why he's able to get away with being so difficult because he's just a, a TV presenter. I was thinking about, it. it's like, no one can look him in the eye. Like he doesn't learn anyone's name. And like, he just, this is, which I sort of understand, right. If you're someone important or talented, if you're the United States president, I kind of understand it. Or if you're someone like Prince, I came on Twitter. I said Prince or Martin Scorsese, you know, the first two people I thought of. <laughs> I was thinking if you are like an ultra talented person, it's like, yeah, you can't look at Prince. I'd be like, fair enough. I mean, he's a, he's a genius. I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to look at him. You know, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, he be, can be a bit weird. This is a daytime TV a mediocre daytime TV presenter who, according to Eamon Holmes, can't even read a voiceover. This is how weird a uh, voiceover. I'm so tired. An auto you see, you see, I can't do it. But this is like, <laughs> this, this is so strange to me. I mean, I work in TVs now, so I understand it is a kind of weird, weird area full of weird egos. But why is how is this guy able to get so much power, Toby, and be this feared figure in the medium of daytime TV? I've never even seen the show personally. What do you think?
0: I know it, it is odd, isn't it? And, the, and, the, and the, the amount of, you know, column inches devoted to this, the amount of airtime, um, it, it's as though we were back in the 80s when, you know, breakfast TV had just been launched and it was a big thing and it was a kind of cultural touchstone. Now, who watches Breakfast TV? I don't think I've—I don't think I've ever voluntarily, you know, I've been on it a few times, but I don't think I've ever voluntarily watched it uh, for at least ten years. I mean, it's—it's—it's um, it, it, it's, it's sort of almost out of time the amount of coverage it's getting, as though he is this kind of massive cultural icon like Jimmy Savile, who's fallen from grace in this shocking scandal, and it's rocked the nation. It's like no, he's—you know—as you say, he's a kind of mediocre bland morning television presenter who i imagine most people haven't heard of and if they have take very little interest in i mean it is i mean it's got more coverage than you know liz truss's departure from number 10 downing street i mean it is baffling to me why why there is so much press interest in it i mean by the way we should be clear that, yeah. that, 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 that even though we're, we're making these comparisons to savile um he hasn't been accused of um, paedophilia or anything like that. So uh, just for, for libel reasons, I think we should make that very clear. And, and by the way, Nick, I also want to make clear that I'm not in Philip Schofield's little black book. Just want to get that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no, that is important, both of those things. I mean, yeah, on the first point, yeah, we're merely the comparison there was merely childhood people you watched on the TV that you're now disappointed in. That was the only connection I was drawing there. So that you know, and there are so many people in that category. I mean, Gary Lineker, you know, just because he's a dick. Um, but yeah, it's you're right. I mean, it, it, I, I do understand the scandal. I think there'll be more. I mean, there seems to be a lot more coming out. It, it seems to be ongoing. The scandal aspect, I understand, is a big story. But it, to me, it's the it's just the strange aspect. yeah, the TV aspect is not. you know, Yeah, what's so good about daytime TV? I, don't, I never watch it. Who are the people that watch daytime TV? They don't have jobs. And I'm on TV, so I'm, I'm not, you know, but I don't think it's important that I'm on there. I wouldn't go around saying, you can't look me in the eye or whatever it is. And um, just lastly, on this, the thing that bothered me, and I think one reason people are annoyed maybe, is that we had to call him brave recently. Do you remember when we had to call him brave? And I had a joke about it, and I was able to share it and prove that I showed receipts that I was always anti Schofield on this. So when it came out that he was gay, he, he'd basically che- and he'd cheated on his wife, as far as I could gather. But because he was gay, or at least he'd been living a fraudulent life, whatever you want to say. I don't know what they were allowed to say, but the point is, at very least, it it was a betrayal in that you've been in a heterosexual marriage. And I had some joke. I was saying, look, I was engaged for a couple of years and I I felt a bit bad because it didn't work out. I'd wasted two years of this girl's life. Then I realized Philip Schofield wasted 27 years of a woman's life, so I felt a lot better. And that got like a, ooh, even at the time, even a kind of edgy comedy room, it got a bit of an ooh and a laugh. And then I just got out a bit of paper and said, oh, I'm sorry, he is very brave and read it from a paper... And my point was at the time that was the thing you had to say, and it's interesting how quickly we went from "He is brave," because he basically pulled the Kevin Spacey card like, "I choose to live the rest of my life as a gay man. he basically did the "Hey, you can't touch me, I'm gay thing." We went from "Hey, he's very brave. we all have to say that, and it's a bit of an ooh if you even don't to he's a monster. It's amazing how quickly the narrative shifts.
0: do you think I mean, do you think that one of the reasons um, he came out as gay and you know through his marriage? Under a bus is because a tabloid, possibly the Sun, had this story of his relationship with the runner, um, and um, so ro- so he kind of tr- he did a deal with them. Look, I'll give you this other story. I'll come out as gay if you don't run that story, um, and then he probably thought, well, if it then does come out, it'll be less scandalous because I've already come out as gay. I mean, I I'm assuming here, and I don't know enough of the detail that his relationship with the runner predated his coming out as gay I think it did but I'm not absolutely certain about that. Um, but um, one of the curious things about this Nick, is that um, I thought that he'd be more protected in virtue of being gay. you know he would be able to claim victimhood points in the oppression Olympics and it would you know it's one thing for a heterosexual male to you know um, use his superior status in the office. Hierarchy to seduce um a younger member of staff. That's that if, if it's a female member of staff, you know, that is a Me Too scandal, that is career-ending, and that's the scandal that ends the career of the Steve Carroll character in the morning show. This is slightly different because it's a gay man uh taking advantage seemingly of his superior status in the office hierarchy to seduce a younger male employee. And it's not quite a Me Too scandal. It's a sort of gay version of a Me Too scandal, but they don't have anything like the same kind of scandalous kind of resonance as kind of straightforward, heterosexual, normal Me Too scandals. Because, you know, we're talking about gay people and they have victim status. So, you know, they're given much more latitude. But in this case, he doesn't appear to have given as much latitude as I was expecting. People haven't said, you know, that they've sort of forgotten that it was very brave of him to come out. And he's he's had to kind of, you know, um, uh, conceal his true identity for all these years. I mean, it, it, that doesn't seem to be kind of Offering much in the way of mitigation. People seem pretty cross with him, uh, you know, for the same reasons people were cross with the Steve Carroll character in The Morning Show. It's as though, you know, if he'd been trans. You know, and he'd had a relationship with um, a younger trans employee. I think he would have completely gotten away with it, you know, because trans people have now overtaken, you know, um, uh, gays in the oppression Olympics. But it's as though gays have been downgraded. Their victimhood status is now not worth nearly as much as it was, even as recently as a year ago when he first came out, if it was a year ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, clearly it would be far worse if it was a young woman. He'd be getting, he'd have been attacked far more viciously. But like you say, he's now being attacked but the first time he did use the gay card to, to get away with it. But I think there's now an extra element of anger because he was able to, to pull that trick. So I think that's what's going on. But you, you, I mean, you're right. It would have been, if it was a young woman, it would have just been over the first time completely brutally. That'd be it yeah. forever if he's straight off. But he got away with it temporarily because of the gay card, but it didn't last that long because and I think it's actually created an extra resentment now. And um, Holly, Holly as well, I've, I don't have much to say about Holly. I've never watched it. Uh, I mean... She was on, you know, Lads Mags when I was a kid. Then she sort of pivoted into being like this uh, daytime TV person. And Kim Woodburn on GB News came on and called her a little bitch, which was kind of hilarious. But um, there's a big question, Yeah, like you say, how much was she involved? How much can she carry on? And that's another question. It's not a question I care about that much either, to be honest. But that is the current question. How much can Holly survive? All right. So let's move on to another annoying story. Mizzy. I don't know how much you've been following Mizzy, Toby, but you can hardly avoid him. He's become, as I said in the intro, pretty much the most hated person in Britain since Matt Hancock. He received a pathetic fine for his antics. And if you somehow have missed his antics, he was the TikToker that was walking into people's houses, coming up to people and saying, do you want to die? And he, various other things like this, uh, stealing an old woman's dog. Basically an absolute scumbag. He then managed to get onto Piers Morgan, because you're now rewarded for this kind of behavior, where he said, UK laws are weak. UK laws are weak, bro. Like, that was that was his explanation, and everyone had to say, yeah, they, they pretty much are weak. I mean, you've exploited them, which is what we knew he was doing. He's exploiting the fact that no one's going to punish him. He got this pathetic £365 fine, which was never going to do anything. The only caveat is he is now getting a sort of low, sort of little bit of police harassment, because, which sort of seems reasonable after the amount of harassment he's engaged in. But he got arrested because he posted something without people's permission which, which went against the conditions they'd set. He's not allowed to post for two years or something like that. So he has now been finally arrested. But what do you make of the Mizzy phenomenon, Toby?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's obviously um, uh, a, a pretty uh, bad apple. Um, and uh, it, it's odd that he... Um, is so utterly shameless about it. I mean, watching his appearance on Piers Morgan, seeing his reaction in you know, often filmed by his friends to the police issuing him with a warning in the kind of politest, mildest possible way. Um, he's totally um uh, remorseless. I mean, he he clearly doesn't 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 recognize that that you know, engaging in this kind of harassment in order to get, you know, likes on TikTok is antisocial and is morally wrong. Um, it's as though you know he either has that bit missing from his brain, or you know maybe maybe his mother, um, his school teachers, no authority figure in his life has ever kind of impressed upon him, you know, any any anything resembling a moral code. I mean, that's really the most shocking thing. He's almost kind of sociopathic, or he he almost is, he seems a little bit surprised that you know, given how many clicks, you know. And likes he's getting on TikTok, given how many followers he's getting, and given that this is, he thinks, you know. A TikTok trend. He didn't invent it. He's just doing it better than others. And given the success, I suppose that so many other influencers, YouTubers, have enjoyed by engaging in not quite such antisocial pranks, but pranks nevertheless. He's like he almost seems puzzled, perplexed, slightly surprised that anyone should react negatively to this. Um, but but the really annoying thing about it, I don't think, is his, his behaviour or the um, uh, the 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 completely. You know, um, uh, pathetic reaction of the the police. But the really annoying thing is all these Tory MPs um, uh, saying, "Oh well, this is an argument for the online safety bill. The sooner we pass the online safety bill, the better." This is a, this is why we need the we need to regulate the internet. It's as though you know, it's as though antisocial yobbish behaviour didn't exist in the kind of pre-smartphone pre-social media era i mean you know it, it's not tiktok that's to blame for this kind of behavior uh, and blaming tiktok really does seem to completely have missed the point it's like blaming social media for the death of um you know that conservative mp david Ames. um you know it's like it, it, it's it's complete misdiagnosis of the problem it's it's naked political opportunism. This are sort of an imagining that they can do something to, to, to address this problem, you know, which they really can't, at least not by censoring the internet. It's just ludicrous.
1: Yeah. On that point, yeah, Alex Davis-Jones MP said, this content is, well, she said distributing, I assume she meant disturbing and upsetting. Yet another example of how we desperately need the online safety bill to hold the social media platforms to account. YouTube and TikTok seem happy to allow this irresponsible content to proliferate on their platforms. It's unacceptable. Yeah. So exactly. Clearly the aspe- the problem was the crimes and walking into people's houses and that we, in this country, we can't do anything about that and have no recourse. Yeah. She thought it was all about the fact that TikTok show it, which is a secondary problem. And yeah, it, it, David Curtin went as far as calling it a PSYOP, the Heritage Party leader. And <laughs> What was funny there, though, is he said, "I'm not." He then said, "I'm not saying it was. It's it's done on purpose for this reason to put through the online safety bill." But that's what the PSYOP up would mean. So I'm not exactly sure what his t- claim was uh, in the end. But good guy anyway. But but I wasn't. I didn't quite get the claim. But yeah, that would be one way to get the online safety bill through, wouldn't it? Create this guy <laughs> and say, "See, this is why we need to crack down." Uh, but I think they're just being
0: opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic case of blaming the messenger, isn't it? Um, blaming the you know the platform. Um, That he uses to kind of spread his videos and not him. You know, it is just extraordinary. Yeah.
1: Obviously, TikTok incentivizes this kind of thing, but it doesn't mean there are every TikTok is going up saying to young women, Do you want to die, you know, on on a bench at night and then going, Oh, I mean, dye your hair. It's like, Oh, yeah, good one, mate. And the the disgusting thing about that, of course, is that anything could happen. Someone could react violently, run into the road running away from him, anything you know, they could anything could happen to them, it's absolutely disgusting. And coming into someone's house, who, who knows what can happen. But Mizzy struggles with that because he, as you said, one one, he has no remorse, he has no empathy. But also he doesn't have a high enough IQ. This was a, there was a theory about this on some post, and it that seemed to apply to Mizzy that if you have an IQ under a certain level, you can't actually engage in hypotheticals. So when Piers Morgan was saying to him, but what if it had been your house? Well, it wasn't. Or what if someone had reacted like this? Well, they didn't. It's like he can't actually understand hypothetical scenarios and he can't engage them because he's just too thick.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that's um, low IQ related. I mean, I know plenty of high IQ people who react in a similar way when you try and <laughs> make hypothetical arguments of a similar nature. Um, you know, you say that all, all the people, you know, you say it to kind of, you know, snowflake students protesting about, you know, a gender critical feminist speaking on their campus, you know, well, you must realize that the right to free speech protects your right to free speech, not just this person who you fundamentally disagree with. And that's why it's important to defend the right to free speech in the abstract. You don't have to agree with what the person's saying to defend their right to speak. And it would be, it's in your interest to defend that right. Because one day someone's going to try and stop you from speaking because they find what you're saying upsetting. And you'll be able to fall back on this right. Uh, but, you know, trying to explain that to them, it never fucking registers. Sorry, I shouldn't have sworn. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "Oh, but I don't agree with her. You know, like I'm, I'm making them sound stupid now. It's like, yes, but I don't agree with her. You know, it's uh, it's it's pink haired girls who got three A stars in their A levels from Cheltenham Ladies College and still can't grasp that basic point.
1: Yeah, but the mistake you made there, Toby, is thinking that someone doing a gender studies degree has a high IQ, and then you've backed it up with the three A stars at A level. But we all know that doesn't really mean anything either. I'll
0: give a a better example. Especially girls
1: at school, they work hard, they get high grades, but they're a bit thick anyway. Go on.
0: Well, I mean, generally speaking, I mean, one of the depressing things about the Great Awakening is that um, uh, it seems to have particularly affected the cognitive elite. Um, The smarter you are, the higher up the academic food chain you are, the more senior your job uh, in an organization or a Whitehall department, the more likely you are to buy into this stuff, the more likely you are to be a woke enforcer. Um, I I speculated about this at NatCon and came up with various reasons. I won't bore you with them, but um, it is one of the um, most depressing things, I think, about this new religious movement of the 21st century, the smarter people are, the more likely they are to be swept up by it.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I always wonder, yeah, is it is it just because they're smart enough to realize that this is advantageous for them? And as we've said in the past, certain people can't understand social cues, whereas they understand where the elite, where the Ivy Leagues, I want to be able to go to my Ivy League parties, and they just they're just socially calibrated to a high level. Uh, even if they don't believe it.
0: Yeah, I think, well, just to rattle through the reasons, I think it's partly, as you say, status signalling. You know, Being able to speak Wokish is the 21st century equivalent of being able to speak Latin or French in the 19th century. It's a way of advertising your membership of the kind of Brahmin class. Um, It's also careerist, obviously. They recognise that if they're going to be employed by McKinsey or Goldman Sachs when they leave their Russell Group University, if they're fluent in Wokish, if they can point to... Activist, ally behavior, etc. They're more likely to get a job. It's part of the kind of, uh, you know, almost part of the part of the kind of one of the credentials you have to have now to work at a kind of high in a high status profession is you've got to be woke. You've got to be, you know, um, a congregant in this new church. Um, it's also, I think, um, uh, they're able to kind of more easily kind of persuade themselves that they really believe this gobbledygook because it's in their self-interest to believe it. The smarter you are, the easier it is, I think, to rationalize um, that kind of thing, to persuade yourself to believe whatever it's in your interest to believe. They can kind of talk themselves into it because, you know, for careerist reasons, but on a sort of semi-conscious level, they don't quite, they don't admit to themselves, they're doing it. They're not straightforwardly hypocritical. They're not saying, I believe one thing, I'm going to pretend to believe another for careerist reasons. That's quite difficult. Most people can't do that takes too great a toll on their psyches. So they talk themselves into it. They talk themselves around. They persuade themselves that they really do believe whatever's in their self-interest to believe. And finally, I think it's uh, it's the smarter you are, the kind of generally speaking, the more developed your imagination. So they can imagine more easily the terrible consequences of being cancelled, of getting on the wrong side of the woke mob, of effectively being kind of burnt at the met- metaphorical stake. So therefore they're more caught they're naturally more cautious uh, than than less intelligent people who kind of are more likely to throw caution to the wind not realizing just what kind of tortures await them if they do get on the wrong side of the woke mob
1: but then how do you explain someone like me who did an IQ test got a 137 and never mind me what about andrew doyle who's has like a massive alien brain that just sort of buzzes when you're near it <laughs> you know how do you explain these ultra intelligent people who go against wokeness i mean are we just incredibly brave as well
0: I think it's partly courage. Yeah, um, I, I think it's um, uh, often the people we end up kind of going to bat for um, at the FSU um, are, you know, I wouldn't say they're on the spectrum, but they're slightly spectrumy. I think we've talked about this before. And one, I think one of one of the one of the hallmarks, I think, of of being slightly spectrumy is a kind of um, is 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 you you have a kind of greater regard for the truth. You find it harder to lie. Um, you know um, part of being kind of socially you know agile and understanding how to kind of navigate these kind of uh, complicated social arenas and get on with people, um, and, and kind of shin up the greasy pole, uh, is, 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 you know, is, is you engage in deception, you engage in a bit of hypocrisy, you know, how to kind of flatter people, you know, how to kind of lie by omission, you know, that's all part of your kind of social emotional intelligence. People who are a bit spectrum. We don't have that. Uh, they, they just kind of cling to the truth. I think the truth will protect them. But they also, they find it harder to lie. Um, it's not exactly a kind of uh, more developed kind of moral compass. they it often sort of, I think there's an overlap. Um, it, it's more a kind of almost an impairment ends up making them kind of more honest and more straightforward and less able to kind of lie in a kind of you know socially acceptable way i don't know i think it's to do with that and maybe it'd be unfair on andrew to say he's a bit spectrumy uh, i think i think it's 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 people who are just naturally more independent minded free thinkers they tend to be a particular type and it tends to be quite an unusual type it's you know it's 5% of the population or less that kind of uh, that kind of, um, you know, think things through for themselves, reach a conclusion and don't budge from it. You know, however bad it is for their careers to stick to it. I mean, it's, you know, it's it, a rare, a rare combination of qualities. So, um, but yeah, great that those people exist and they're leading the fight back.
1: Well, I don't like those choices, coward or autist, basically. <laughs> the, the things you, That's what you're offering me. I don't think I am spec for me, but I do think I have a, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Just, you may claim otherwise, um, I do think I have a an inability to do the, the sort of Machiavellian game of office politics and so on, though. Yeah? And I do just have to say say it how it is and things like that. So yeah, maybe call that to me if you want. So maybe that is it. How interesting. Um, and in terms of personality types, I do always get the most rare personality type on the Myers Briggs test. So it is certainly a rare personality type. So maybe that is it. All right, it's cowards versus autists uh, in the in the <laughs> culture war battle. Um, and should want to move on and do this uh, Harry story now? Because we've had to do this at a ludicrous hour, and I've not done my usual two hours preparation for the show. I'm sorry to listen. I haven't actually followed this story, which is uh, very rare for me. But I can give you, I'll give you the headline and then let Toby go off. So it's Prince Harry loses legal fight to be able to pay for police protection in the UK, and I find it hard to care about Harry. But why? Why is this important, Toby?
0: Um, well, I think I think we. Um, men- I mentioned it in. The live show. I said that um, uh, Harry was engaged. I think in six different, six separate lawsuits, um, and um, you know, if he loses some or all of them, he's going to be stuck with horrendous costs. And you know, um, for all the money he and Meghan have have managed to make, um, and for all the money he still gets from his father um, and possibly other members of his family, uh, he could easily. Go bankrupt if all these cases go south for him. And a case in point um, since then, um, one of the cases um, was a case he was bringing, as you just said, against the Home Office. And he thought that the Home Office should have granted him the right to pay for special police protection when he wasn't going to be given it, you know, at the expense of the taxpayer. And the Home Office, you know, I think quite rightly said, look, we can't offer this. We can't, we can't, you know, the police are not a service, are not a private security, don't offer this private security service for kind of very rich people who, who want them to kind of work for them. You yeah, know, that's not how it works. Um, and uh, so he lost the case um, and he's now been stuck with costs or may face costs of half a million pounds. And that's just one of these six cases. And his case against the Mirror Group in his phone hacking trial, and he's also got. Case is pending, I think, against Associated Newspapers and another, and I think News UK. Um, that's not going terribly well either. Um, so um, his attempt to, uh, I think, the judge said, you can't bring a case for phone hacking against the Mirror, though he still allowed him to proceed with a couple of his other claims. Anyway, it doesn't seem to be going terribly well. He seems to be overreaching a bit. Um, uh, I I think it's always a bad idea for members of the royal family to get litigious like this. It kind of destroys their bargain with uh, with the press and makes them kind of fair game um but anyway he's 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 you know he's ignored the wisdom of his ancestors um decided to you know become very litigious and uh, i think he could come come a cropper as a consequence
1: very sad did you watch that starkey clip on gb news he did a long just dismantling really of harry and, and just where he's gone wrong. And, and he said he'd undergone a religious conversion. And that was the only part I didn't like because Starkey, not exactly a fan of Christianity and an atheist. So I didn't really like that. But I, if you use the phrase cult, I would have been more on board with it. And I, uh, So if you, that, that caveat aside, I agreed with everything he said. And he just basically tore apart Harry in the way he's gone down this woke route and, and how badly it's gone for him. And I actually had a dream about uh, Harry, maybe because I'd watched that clip. I had a dream about Prince Harry, right, <laughs> where he, I haven't read the story, so I've got to fill it with something, but this is this is, this is a moderately interesting. I had a dream about him when I was, I was telling him, I was speaking to him and saying, Harry, you know, you used to have all this army stuff, whatever, you know, people liked you, you were doing well, then you've gone down this woke route and, it, you know, everyone hates it basically, but you can still pull it back. And in the dream, he was listening to me and he was actually open to it. He was going, okay, what do I do? And I was explaining to him how he could still pull it back with the public. So obviously I care about Harry on some level because I, I, you know, you watch the documentary and so on, you think, okay, he did have a horrible time with his mother and he did want to do some good things when he was younger. You know, he went, some of these things he did, I can't remember the country, but he went over to Africa and did various sort of decent things and he was in the army and that old Harry was, was good. So I just had this dream about how how we could, you know, trying to get Harry back. It's a weird thing to be dreaming about, but, don't you think he could still come back, Toby, following my prophecy in the dream? If he if he ditched Megan and just said, "I was brainwashed, I was kidnapped."
0: Yeah, I, I'm not a trained psychoanalyst, but um, that's clearly a dream about your relationship with your own brother, isn't it? About wanting to reconcile with your own brother and 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 telling your brother that he may have embraced some wokery pokery but it's not too late to pull back from the brink Um, and there's still I I think um, Wow I uh, never thought of that I thought it was just literally about Harry I I I I think one of the reasons yeah point that Walter Badgett made in the English Constitution one of the reasons the royal family has this kind of you know, resonance in the nation is because we all, we can identify with a family on the throne, with the royal family, because we all have families of our own. And when we dream about the royal family, it's kind of, it's almost dreaming about our own families and trying to work out in our heads, relationships with our own family members via the royal family and that's why they have this kind of take up this huge psychic space in the kind of unconscious of the nation Um, so that anyway that's what it strikes me did you see there was a there was a, a rather cruel story in the express i think it was this morning um drawing a parallel between the duke and duchess of windsor And Harry and Meghan, and pointing out that when the uh, pointing out that the Duchess of Windsor, you know, when she originally started her affair um, with the Duke of Windsor, he was um, the heir to the throne, Um, uh, and uh, but because he was having an affair with her, um, he had to abdicate. And then, according to the Express, she gradually lost interest as the kind of royal luster began to fade, um, and they ended up kind of quite estranged. And apparently, on his deathbed. Uh, she wasn't there she refused to come and see him as he was dying and offer him any kind of comfort And he was crying out darling darling and crying out his pet name for her as he was dying and she was wasn't in the room and the implication was this is what's going to happen to harry you know um (laughs) it was pretty cruel but kind of funny
1: no i missed that it can't it must be tough what what is he in line to the throne now is it fifth seventh or something um
0: I guess it would be so what would it be so it would be um how many children does uh does William have he has, he has three right three I so, believe. so so he's so he's so he's fifth yeah so William's first then the three kids uh then him
1: yeah fifth in line you got it yeah I, I empathize with Harry a little bit as the younger brother actually my brother has three kids I would be fifth in line I do <laughs> I, I do have a bit of that fifth in line feeling it's like what do I do i have got to go and define myself elsewhere a little bit like Roman in Succession. No spoilers if you've watched it. I have watched the whole thing now, but we want to spoil it for the listeners. But um, yeah, I do relate to. Maybe that's why I had the dream. Maybe I do relate to Harry. I think we're like we're the same, Harry. But here's how you pull it back. <laughs> I think I just have deep empathy for Harry. But um, maybe it was about my brother. Uh, write in and tell me what my
0: dream was about. You don't have to do that. It's one, it's one for Doctor Peterson. Doctor Peterson. Next time he's on the show. Oh yeah. You could say. you Write yeah, in and, and, and ask him what it's about.
1: Yeah, I need to ask Dr. Peterson what my dream is about. So do you want to do, it's optional anyway, you don't have to, but I'm offering you to do one of our adverts. We have so many this week.
0: Yep. So this is an ad for the Live In Care Company. That's theliveincarecompany.co.uk. Are you worried about parents or a loved one who are finding it more and more difficult to take care of themselves or who may be living with a condition such as dementia or Parkinson's? Are you starting to think about a residential care home but the very thought of it doesn't sit right. At the Live In Care Company, we truly believe that home is the best place to receive care from an expert carer of your choice and on a one-to-one basis. Home is always a calmer, more healthy and a happier place to be. For more information about Live In Care, Please go to the liveincarecompany.co.uk. That's all one word, the liveincarecompany.co.uk. Or you can ring us for a no obligation conversation on 0118 914 5300. That's 0118 914 5300. We'll be happy to help.
1: All right, well, that's probably enough on Harry and my inner psyche. So we should probably tackle this story about immigration. And we alluded to it on the live show, but it hadn't dropped at that point because I think the figures came out on Thursday. And this is a massive story, of course, in the country that net immigration was 606,000 just over. And people are saying the real figure may be something like 743,000. I've heard various estimates, but because it was counted differently from previous years, no one really knows the true figure. Some people then point out, well, it's people from Ukraine and Hong Kong have a heart, but apparently even... With that, it would still be 440,000. So this is insane. Rishi had had pledged to get it down below the previous number, which I believe was 226,000 when he he set that target. It, It wasn't supposed to go over that. Obviously, it's gone vastly over that. Part of it is this foreign student dependence issue, which you covered in the, or someone covered in the Daily Skeptic, basically saying people come over and do these fairly pointless degrees to get a visa, then they bring over half their family and it's a racket from the universities to make some money, and it's completely unsustainable. And at this point, I think immigration is so on the table now. For a while, and Douglas Murray covers this in The Strange Death of Europe, for a while they they couldn't fix it, they couldn't do anything about it, so the tactic became call everyone racist. But I think that tactic is kind of wearing out now, and everyone, even Labour, are realising they have to tackle this. And so, Toby, a few things I'd ask, is this the end of the Tories? And I'd also ask given that immigration causes pressure on services and housing, the cultural problems, obviously, and it's probably not even good for the economy. I think that myth has probably been busted at this point. And it doesn't fix the birth rate issue, which Paul Morland has talked about. The only way around that is a pro-natal approach. It's a short-term fix for that. So isn't it at this point just a way for rich people who won't be affected to virtue signal? Anyone who's pro-immigration at this point or pro this level of immigration has to just be a detached rich person who just wants to look good. What do you think?
0: Well, um, I think that um, Jeremy Hunt uh, would argue that um, high levels of immigration are good for the economy um, because um, so many of our unemployed workers aren't willing to take on the unskilled or low-skilled, low-paid jobs that guest workers take on, such as picking fruit. And of course, if if um, farmers paid them more money, uh, then no doubt they would get out of bed and um, pick the fruit. Uh, but then the fruit would be more expensive. Um, and given that Rishi Sunak wants to impose um, price caps uh, on supermarkets, it's not quite clear how that would work out. But I imagine it would mean a shortage of fruit, um, but um, uh, and I guess the the argument that um, Gillian Keegan made in cabinet to defend the number of visas issued each year to foreign students and their dependents, although they have now said they're no longer going to issue. Visas to the dependents of foreign students, and incidentally, that was close to 150,000 people in 2022. Um, uh, Ginny Keegan's argument was that, well, without these foreign students, and in total, foreign students make up about a third of all British students at universities. Without them, um, there's no way British universities would be able to survive financially. We'd either have to let them go bust, which in my view, would be no bad thing. Um, or we'd have to subsidize them, and that would cost the taxpayer much more. We'd probably have to put taxes up, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the kind of economic, financial case for high levels of immigration. I agree, it's very short sighted. It's kicking the can down the road. It's not what we thought we were being promised during the Brexit referendum. It doesn't feel like we've taken back control, certainly not of our borders. Just on the Rishi point you made, um, the level of immigration in 2020 was 268 thousand, but the level of immigration in 2021, which is when he became PM, was 504,000 hundred thousand. He's been quite shifty and and, and very carefully avoided um, setting a target. But I think the understanding is that the target he's talking about getting immigration below in future years is 504 thousand a year not 268,000 a year, which is um, uh, not a particularly difficult target to meet, I wouldn't have thought, even though they didn't meet it this year. going to brag again about um, what I said at the live show. I said I thought that the predicted figure uh, of 700 of of, um, immigration in 2022 being between 700,000 and a million was probably um, an exercise in expectation management. The government had leaked that figure, uh, knowing that the real figure would be below it. So, you know, it wouldn't look as bad as people had expected. Um, uh, but as you say, I hadn't what I hadn't anticipated, and I got that right, um, it was a hair above 600,000. Um, so quite considerably below the lower end of the estimate that everybody thought was accurate. Um, but what I hadn't anticipated is, as you said, they'd fiddle the figures in order to get it below 700,000, which they, they clearly did. They, they've changed the way it's calculated in order to kind of come up with a, a significantly lower figure. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a disaster for the Conservative Party and um, uh, makes me more pessimistic that, um, uh, that, 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 that Rishi will cling on or that the Conservatives will come back with either a small majority or at least be the larger single party.
1: Yeah. And I do wonder what's going to happen in the election. We did a quick poll at the live show. Reform got a lot of support. Yes. A few people, one or two people thought the Tories could still pull it back. But I know it's Reform had a lot of support. I think people will do a protest vote about this immigration issue. I think the Tories, they can't really win. But now Labour are talking about being top on immigration, but no one really believes that, surely. So it's, no. it's going to be even worse. I always say this. It can get worse with Labour and it will.
0: Definitely. However bad you think things are now, they'll be so much worse under a Keir Starmer-led Labour government.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. We, we need to do something. We need At this point, We just I don't know if it's a complete change in the Tory party if they get obliterated and the sort of NatCon side comes through, the sort of David Frost, the uh, Suella Bravman. I don't know. if I mean, there's going to be a battle for the future of the Conservative Party, isn't there? I mean, if they get obliterated, it's going to be up for grabs, the direction of the party.
0: If if they get obliterated, yeah, it'll be civil war. And I imagine if, if Rishi somehow clings on, uh, even so, I don't think he'd remain in office for that much longer. He might do what... Um, Harold Wilson did. Let's suppose he or Theresa May did. I mean, if you get back in with a much reduced majority and um, or if you inherit, as as Theresa May did, um, quite a small majority, you know, your 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 ambition is to hold a general election within 18 months, two years, in which you secure a bigger majority. Harold Wilson managed it in the 1960s. Uh, Theresa May didn't manage it. Um, But I imagine that will be Rishi's ambition if he gets back in with a significantly reduced majority. Um, He'll hold another election within 18 months, two years, and hope to come back with a bigger majority, but I imagine would resign before the end of his term, um, end of his five-year term, rather than fight another election after that. Um, But who knows? But but yeah the civil war, if it doesn't happen in the immediate aftermath, the civil war within the Conservative Party, if it doesn't happen in the immediate aftermath of the next general election, it'll only be kicking the can down the road. It'll happen sooner or later.
1: Apparently he's meeting up with um, Boris, isn't he Rishi their first meeting since the incident. Did you hear that?
0: Oh, no, I didn't hear that.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard anyway, but I don't know how that meeting's gone or, or anything or if it's happened yet or anything
0: about it, really. So
1: apologies did not even mention it,
0: but uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. The interesting thing about that is when, when you know, when Boris was kind of um, flirting with throwing his hat into the ring after Liz Truss was defenestrated, and you know was under a lot of pressure, and initially indicated to his closest supporters, including many MPs such as Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, that he was going to run. Um, uh, and they all then came out, endorsed him. And at the last minute he changed his mind, um, thereby, you know, dropping them all down a big hole, making them unappointable as far as Rishi was concerned, because they would backed his rival, um, typical Boris. Um, but why did he change his mind at the last minute? Well, he had a meeting with Rishi. Just before he changed his mind, um, and do you, do we think that Rishi has some sort of compromise on Boris? I mean, it would have to be pretty. It would have to be pretty scandalous, wouldn't it? Because you know, more or less everything's priced in. Maybe it isn't everything. You know, maybe he has done something so Philip Schofield-like um, that uh, that and Rishi knows about it. That uh, it was enough to get him to back down. Uh, maybe m- maybe because Boris is making kind of angry noises about you know um uh running if 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 the cabinet office continues to refer him to the police and so, etc maybe rishi's kind of meeting up with him again just to remind him of this kind of trove of compromise i yes. still have, have this brief guy i still have this boris <laughs> are you sure you want to take us on on this one yeah
1: yeah i'd like to see rishi do a sort of aim and home style interview about Boris. <laughs> he can't even read an cue, guys um <laughs> And he's fat. Um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, who knows what he has on him? I forgot about that time Boris almost came back and then screwed over all his mates. Well, they did. Some of them did get GB News jobs after that, so it, it can work out for you, even <laughs> even if Boris does that to you. Should we um move on? There? I mean, immigration, by the way, yeah, it's a massive problem. It who's actually going to solve it? Is anyone going to do anything about it? I think we have to. Well, I don't, I'm not going to tell people who to vote for. I think I would do a, a vote at this point for any party that actually wants to tackle these things, maybe reform. I mean, I interviewed Richard Tyson on my other podcast. He had some fairly convincing ideas. He wants net zero immigration. Good catchphrase, but also not a bad idea because there is a, quite a high level of emigration every year. So you could still have a few hundred thousand. It would still be, you know, it'd still be net zero. I mean, I would halt it completely for, yeah, for it's a, a while. A, it, but, you
0: know. It's a sort of thing... I mean, I'm a big fan of Richard's and, you know, I might vote reform myself, but um, net zero is pretty ambitious, you know. And David Cameron, um, I think, made a political blunder when he said if he was elected PM, he'd get it down to the tens of thousands. That was in 2010. And he's been hoist on that petard ever since. So I'd be careful about hostages to fortune if I was Richard, if he actually thinks he has a realistic chance of being PM.
1: Yeah, they did introduce some, some tricky rules around that. Yeah, they were trying to get it down to the tens of thousands. And they made it very hard to bring in your spouse, for example, and things like that. I remember because I was a, I was engaged to an American at the time. And it was very difficult. The rules were very complicated. So it's not actually that easy to get in. So I always wonder who all these people are that are getting in. Because when I've tried to, you know, in the past, when I was like actually trying to get someone in, I was, I was like, this is difficult. But of course, people are coming over on boats. That helps. But And the foreign dependence thing, is, the students thing is an absolute racket, isn't it? So I think that seems to be a huge number of them. Have they they actually done something to fix that now, did you say? Yeah,
0: they've said that they're not going to issue visas to dependents of foreign students in future. Um, But no doubt there'll be lots of loot balls. Yeah.
1: All right, well, that's depressing. Let's move on and do another annoying story. The BBC, I thought this was worth covering, have unveiled their Verify service. And um, I just thought this was maybe worth talking about because... It says, the BBC has unveiled BBC Verify to address the growing threat of disinformation and build trust with audiences through transparency, which turned out just to mean smearing people as far-right and conspiracy theorists, which they then do in the video, and it's that Mariana Spring woman who seems to be just shameless. And I said, basically, the BBC have spent a load of your money to find new ways to monitor and smear you for questioning the current narrative. Of course, they work in the terms conspiracy and far-right, which now just mean you think a virus may have come from a virus lab and women exist. And this is the problem with terms like this. On the BBC, you just always think, why do this to yourself? Like they could be normal. Do you know what I mean? Like they they just it'd be so so easy for them to win back huge swathes of the population just by being vaguely impartial. But they have to go and do things like BBC verify, which no one believes in anymore. No one believes the BBC have the authority to fact check. And if they were gonna do that, they should have said in the video, and we also need to look at far left extremism or they should have thrown in a few examples that made it seem balanced rather than just another Classic attack on political views they don't like.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there are probably three reasons the BBC have gone kind of all in on tackling misinformation and disinformation. I mean, apparently sixty BBC employees um, are working on the Verify project. I think the first is it's just groupthink. You know, this is this is the global elite thinks the only reason electorates don't vote for the candidates they'd like them to vote for, didn't vote for Remain, etc., is because they're misinformed. They're led astray by bad actors like us on on social media. Um, So so it's not a conflict of values. It's not because there are um, some negative consequences of globalization. It's not because, you know, um, the morals of ordinary people are spat on by the global elite on a daily basis. No, it's just because they've been misinformed, led astray by bad actors. So that's the first reason. Uh, The second is that I think the... um, uh, the BBC um, uh, probably receives money from various foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates foundations uh, to pay for this kind of work. So it, 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 they can effectively you know, subsidise the salaries of 60 of their employees uh, via grants from big donations, uh, big, 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 big um, foundations. And thirdly, it, it's part, I think, of the BBC's general strategy to try and restore trust in the BBC. Um, So lots of legacy media companies, organisations think that the reason um, uh, people are deserting Them and going to alt media sites like uh, the Daily Skeptic um, is because of a lack of trust um, in mainstream media, and they think this will restore trust. Obviously, it'll have the opposite effect, um, but I think that's part of the rationale. It's it's a business strategy. It's subsidised by foundations like the Bill and and Melinda Gates Foundation, and it's kind of liberal globalist groupthink.
1: So strange they would think this would restore trust because one of the reasons they've lost trust is smearing of people with opinions you disagree with. And this just seems like the exact same thing. How strange. And what I thought was also interesting was they released this article about the satanic temple that was that was uh, going around. So I wrote, BBC, we're launching our new verify service to expose dangerous cranks. Also, BBC, please enjoy our sympathetic article about satanists. And that's what it was. And I just thought that, that just sort of illustrated the problem that you've got these people saying like, hey, we're just a uh, neutral, we're the BBC, we're verifying everyone. Then they run something like the Satanic Temple. Think you know about Satanists? Maybe you don't. And you read the whole piece and it's just a kind of puff piece about Satanists and why they're actually kind of just cool and, and nice and good. And like the real enemy is, you know, the right. And isn't that in- kind of incredible when you're pretending to be, the, you know, this neutral, serious platform?
0: It's almost as though they're trolling, you know, alt media Uh, journalists and broadcasters to kind of accuse them of being Satanists so they can immediately leap on them, uh, train their 60 verified journalists on them to expose them (laughs) as conspiracy theorists. I know it is is extraordinary. Um, uh, Yeah, We we ran a piece in the Daily Skeptic yesterday by Tony Morrison um, uh, saying that when he saw Mariana Spring Launching BBC Verify it reminded him of Nina Jankovic. Remember, the uh, Department for Homeland Security set up its own disinformation unit, and um, and she, someone found a clip of her on, like tiktok doing a kind of uh, version of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious in which he'd rewritten the lyrics for it so it was all about misinformation and conspiracy theorists and it just made it look absolutely ridiculous and because of the ridicule that inspired eventually uh homeland security paused this uh, new office and it hasn't been heard of since uh, but yeah is is mariana spring the nina ja- he pointed out that you know she had used this mary poppins song to try and get her message across. And ditto, Mariana Spring um, had said that she was going to have to be like Alice in, in Wonderland and go down these rabbit holes in order to kind of hunt down these conspiracy theorists. So she actually said when she was launching BBC Verify that they they, that they were embarking on this uh, big analysis of, you know, alt media websites. I'm sure the Daily Skeptic is within their sites, and we're going to get a bucket of sh1t emptied on our heads by mariana and her colleagues but it was odd that she kind of mary poppins for nina alice in wonderland for uh, mariana is it because you know their claim that um the internet is a kind of factory churning out misinformation and disinformation by the bucket load uh, and, and only they can 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 clean out the orgy and stables is it because that is essentially a fairy tale that they're asking us to believe a children's story hence their affection for children's authors maybe a bit of a stretch but it's a good piece
1: <laughs> yeah that could be it all right well that's the bbc dealt with um and i think we should probably move on and go across the pond and we don't have a thing for that or a jingle yet, but I, I said it as if we did. Let's go across the pond and look at this Target story. So Target loses $10 billion in 10 days as stocks fall following boycott over LGBTQ-friendly kids' clothing. Well, that's a, one way of phrasing it. And so, yeah, people are just it's, – it's, it's Bud Light point two, Toby. People didn't like their display and some of the weird things. that They were pushing some sort of weird – was it some sort of weird bathing suit where you – you Could be either gender or something, I can't even remember, but anyway, people didn't like it, and they got you, you know about this story more than me, yeah. So well, explaining. so,
0: yeah, so Target, which is a massive American department store, a bit like Walmart, um, uh, has, has um, introduced a new, um, I think, children's clothing line to celebrate Pride Month. So, is next month Pride Month? I think it is, um, and June, uh, yeah. and, All and June, and and, and, and because. Pride is no longer just a celebration of gays and lesbians, but trans people as well. In this clothing line, they've included clothing for trans children. So you know, places where I think, I think as you say, a kind of tuck-friendly. That was the thing. I, I, I got
1: it here. Yeah, sorry. Among the ones that garnered the most attention were tuck-friendly women's swimsuits that allow trans women who have not had gender-affirming operations. Uh, a.k.a. mutilation, to conceal their genitalia as well as rainbow-themed children's clothing. So it was this tuck-friendly
0: swimsuit. Yeah, Um, uh, and I'm not sure whether they produced a tuck-friendly one-piece swimsuit for children as well as for adults. But uh, anyway, it's upset, um, understandably, a lot of um, conservative commentators... Um, And uh, as a consequence, I think you mentioned this in your intro, target share prices, I think at last count fallen by slightly over 12%. Uh, So it's another example of um, Get Woke, Go Broke, a company um, jumping on the woke bandwagon and causing a customer revolt. But it's it's incredible how effective these boycotts are. Uh, I mean, you know, you think actually, Well, it's odd, I suppose, that that the conservative right didn't take a leaf out of the woke left's book earlier and start mimicking the tactics of organisations like Stop Funding Hate. Uh, But it does seem to be remarkably effective. And it looks like uh, next in the firing line will be North Face. So North Face has produced this Summer of Pride ad. So it's not just June, it's the whole summer now, Nick. Um, But it's produced this Summer of Pride ad featuring a drag queen called Patty Gonia. Sounds a lot like Patty Gonads. Um anyway, um uh, and this has upset a lot of conservatives too. And they've got their, you know, their rainbow colored, you know uh, uh, sports wear um, uh, and leisure wear and outdoor wear. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, hopefully um, uh, they'll suffer a huge drop in their share price as well. Uh, but yeah, no, um, th- these these conservative boycotts of you know woke corporations are proving to be remarkably effective.
1: Yeah, and the difference with Target and Bud Light, the Target one is even harder because Bud Light was so effective, and the Target one is proving effective, and they pulled these products and so on, and they panicked, but it's a bit harder because people are often in areas of America where pretty much Target is the shop they have to go to. You know, Bud Light is one of many beers. Not that many people even drink beer. A certain percentage do. You can quite easily not drink it. Target, I think, is going to be a bit harder for people to avoid. And also, Bud Light, you know, you can see someone drinking it and go like, ah, you're a loser. Why are you drinking that? You can't really do that with Target. And it's not as easy to see if you've bought something from Target. But I do think it's still been effective. Uh, It's just a slightly different type of boycott. But like you say, it's great they're finally doing it. And, and the North Face is an interesting example because they did that before. They they used that. That advert is not new. It was last year with that same person, Patty Gonya. It, and it received some blowback on Twitter and so on from the usual quarters, but there was no boycott. But we're now in the era of conservative boycotts. So in the post-Bud Light moment, you can now boycott North Face, whereas you could have before, but people didn't think of it. And the other thing they did was have a load of rainbow colored clothing for two to seven year olds. So it had that aspect that people really hate, rightly, which is that kind of why are you doing this to children aspect. So, yeah. And then I said, um so I wrote, they did this last year and got away with it, but we're now in the post Bud Light era and the North Face must be destroyed. You know, just a bit of fun hyperbole on my Twitter. <laughs> and someone quoted that and accused me of creeping fascism. So they don't like it, um Toby. They've been doing this to us for years, but we do it back and it's creeping fascism, apparently. Creeping
0: fascism. Um, I, I realize now that she she must, she must have named herself after the other outdoor clothing label, Patagonia. Yeah, um, did you not get that? I, well, I get it now. <laughs> uh, but it's a bit odd, isn't it, that North Face would employ a drag queen uh, who calls herself after a rival company. But anyway, who knows what's going through their heads. Or maybe North Face have bought Patagonia, so it's okay to promote both now.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a slightly spectrumy analysis of it. But yeah, either way, either way, it's good that we're fighting back with boycotts. And like you say, it works. So let's boycott these scumbags into the ground. Um, if you want, it's completely optional. I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Um, so <laughs> we have a quick word from our friend Thor Holt, who says, Great podcast, an antidote to the usual political misery. Great podcast, absolutely loved it. Brilliant chap. But what are these wonderful sceptic ravings to Thor for? Well, they're waxing positive about his guest appearance on Nick's podcast, The Current Thing. Long-term friend of the show, Annabelle said, absolutely bloody brilliant podcast with Nick, hilarious and laugh out loud. So sample The Antidote to Political Misery, Pop the lol pill with Thor and Nick by listening to The Current Thing, where the lads discuss this broken world and discover what makes Thor tick, including creating freedom exits, skill sex, how to negotiate a higher salary, buying property even when broke, and what he learned from talking to Scott Adams of Dilbert fame. And finally, as you bask in the post-show glow, connect with Thor at linkedin.com in slash Thor And please note, a LinkedIn follow is not the same as a LinkedIn connection. Thor doesn't need more followers, he's not a cult leader, unless we class whiskey as a cult, in which case get in touch because there's a last-minute chance to invest very tax-efficiently in the new island distillery Thor's involved in from only £2,000, investment at risk, etc. That's linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt and the Current Thing podcast, which is available on all the usual platforms. All right, now let's do our other section that everyone loves, it's Birdwatch. So, big Birdwatch this week, Toby, because DeSantis did his Twitter spaces launch of his presidential campaign. It was supposed to be a massive thing like, Hey, I'm doing this in an innovative way. I'm doing it outside the mainstream media, which I did appreciate good idea. In a sense, the problem is if you ever listen to a Twitter space, the tech is an absolute disaster. It's always people going, Hey, am I muted? Hey, you're muted there, mate. Or can you hear me? Or, Oh, it's dropped again. We've lost Roger. We've lost him. It's just, that's what every Twitter space is like. Cause the tech is a bit, is a bit and so, And so you had this Twitter space, you had Musk on there, but this other guy, uh, Sachs, I think it's called. Was it David Sachs? Yeah, this Musk with this guy. And at one point, you could hear Musk echoing because he had, he had not muted himself when the other guy was talking. The, the whole thing broke down once, and they had to start again. And then DeSantis came on. He didn't have a big Trumpian kind of speech. He didn't have anything with high energy. He just kind of rambled on. The whole thing was incredibly poor. He got absolutely hammered for it. Don Jr. called it hashtag like like DeSantis, but disaster which was quite good. And obviously, other people have had all kinds of names for Ron. Meatball Ron seems to be one that's doing quite well. And it kind of proved my point, Toby. We did many episodes ago, we talked about Trump versus DeSantis. I was sticking with Team Trump. You were Team DeSantis. And I, one of the things I said to you at the time was, Trump's charisma is on a whole other scale, and you just can't compete with that as DeSantis. And I think this has shown that. What do you think?
0: Yeah, well, I thought it was curious that um, he chose to launch his presidential bid on Spaces and instead of being interviewed by, you know, a a veteran media pundit, um, it was Elon Musk. Um, and the only explanation I can think of, unless he was actually, you know, promised a massive donation to his campaign by Elon Musk if he launched his bid on Spaces, the only explanation I can think of as to why... He's chosen to kind of associate himself with Musk and with Twitter from the get-go in his presidential campaign. Is that he's thinking about tapping up Musk as his vice presidential running mate? Do you think Musk has any interest in um, in, in, in going into politics? Do you think that's completely far-fetched?
1: Yeah, I think that's far-fetched. Like I can't see that. He has backed DeSantis openly and said that's who he'd vote for. So he probably thought Twitter is a massive platform. It's doing very well at the moment. Musk has a huge following. Definitely teamed up with Musk to promote himself. But I don't think Musk would be the VP, would he?
0: Well, he could do worse, you know, um, at least he won't have to worry about um, his campaign running out of money. Um, and uh, I guess I, I wonder if I, would there be any reason why Musk couldn't kind of heavily promote the DeSantis campaign? On Twitter, I mean, I guess that would be slightly contrary to it becoming a kind of free speech platform in which there has to be at least a pretense of political neutrality. Um, but uh, I think it's—I I think it was quite an interesting idea. Um, uh, you know, if he wants to—if if 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 he wants to kind of—if if he wants to make his war on woke, you know, one of the main planks of his campaign platform, then he could do a lot worse than teaming up with with Elon Musk. Um, if he wants to. Emphasize, you know, how he's going to be investing in science and technology and addressing the climate change problem through tech rather than, you know, trying to control people's movements, Um, then Musk would make sense from that point of view. If he wants to talk about, you know, a Mars shot to rival the moon shot, then Musk would make sense from that point of view. I don't know. Um, uh, I can think of worse worse running mates but I guess he'll probably go for a, a woman of color probably from a state where he's not polling very well at the moment
1: yeah I'm sure he'll do something like that it yeah I don't seem going with Musk but I do think it was um I do think it's interesting this this Trump versus DeSantis thing that's emerged in a way it's a shame because because it's a it's a civil war and you just want to win and either of them would be good and infinitely better than Biden or whoever the Democratic candidate is really I mean Robert Kennedy Jr. is quite an interesting uh candidate but but basically you know if it's Biden of course you want DeSantis or Trump but I just think this just proves DeSantis problem he just he could learn some charisma he could learn some speaking tactics I just I just don't think he has it I think the gulf is so wide. someone posted on Twitter um my wife hadn't even heard of DeSantis whereas Trump is one of the most famous people to have ever lived I mean that's the hard thing when you're going up against Trump you're going up against one of the most famous people of all time and you're just DeSantis is just a normal politician basically I think you know you'd rather. I mean, I, do you think it's possible still that DeSantis could be Trump's VP and you know just they could just patch it up and Trump could turn it all around? A like, great guy, you know, just suddenly you know suddenly changes the rhetoric and they're mates again. Do you think that's possible?
0: Uh, I, I don't know. It feels like there's um, there's quite a lot of bad blood now. Um, it would quite, take quite a lot, I think, to patch things up between them. Ron DeSantis would have to swallow a lot of pride in order to become. Trump's running mate. Now, I'm not as pessimistic as you about the DeSantis campaign. Um, I think that um, it's perfectly possible that uh, uh, Trump may blow up. uh, you know, he's got these various lawsuits pending against him. Uh, e. Gene Carroll, I think, is now suing him again. Um, uh, uh, you know, he, he may end up in jail, you know, if he's nailed for one of these things he's being pursued for. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I think there is this kind of uh, surely there must be this this sort of uh, realization dawning on, you know, people who want to stop Biden that, you um, Trump may be very good at galvanizing the Republican base but he's not going to get enough people to vote for him to beat Biden and if he's the Republican nominee a lot of people are going to come out to vote for Biden that would otherwise stay at home just to stop Trump so you know he's such a polarizing figure um uh, I think that I think that you know if DeSantis plays his cards right Runs a good campaign, doesn't repeat the mistake he's made so far, and uh, I think it's possible, still possible, that he could become the nominee. You know, um, a week is a long time in politics, and we've got until, you know, um, uh, what end of this year, I think, uh, maybe beginning of next year before the before the. Well, when is the Republican convention? I, I should know, but uh, uh, maybe it's the autumn.
1: Well, I, that's why I disagree because Trump is polling higher than Biden and DeSantis. I think. Trump can do it. As long as there's a vaguely fair election, I still think he can do it. But um, here's a point that was quite interesting that brings together the last two stories, the, the, the boycotts and the voting aspect. So Ashley St. Clair says, the boycotts against Bud Light and Target are an effective uprising against the woke system. The general public is understanding they have more power in this country as a capitalist consumer than as a voter. The individuals running this country have never had their name on a ballot. That's quite interesting, isn't it? The idea that you, by boycotting big companies... You actually, that's you make far more impact than actually your vote. You ever, what do you think on that?
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, and it feels to me like um, DeSantis is a much better place to kind of uh, claim credit for some of these boycott campaigns. You know, he's effectively boycotted Disney, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> uh, than, than than Trump is, but who knows?
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like you're staying team DeSantis. I'm still team Trump, and the Trump memes are just so much better. He had that meme. Uh, after the DeSantis Twitter space, there was a, a little video when Hitler was in the space, Satan was in it. Someone kept coughing and it was just Trump posted. It was absolutely hilarious. There was another meme where DeSantis is doing his launch. Then Trump just comes in and like headlocks him and takes him to the ground. It, it's it, He just beats him in the memes every time. It's the meme the, magic that's going to win this, Toby. No. The, <laughs> the,
0: the meme magic appeals to people like you. I'm sure if you were an American voter, you'd be team Trump. But um, it's not enough to get people like you to vote for him. You'll probably vote for him anyway. You have to win win over people who voted for Biden last time. Um, if Biden's going to be beaten, and I mean, you, you obviously believe the election was stolen, but you know, I think uh, because I don't, I think that um, Trump's problem is he didn't get enough votes last time, and so whoever the Republican nominee is needs to get more votes than Trump. Actually, got last time they weren't stolen. He just didn't get them. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and it, it will it will take more than just um, amusing, you know, people like you. It'll need to need to persuade, um, you know, floating voters that you are uh, going to be a reasonable, responsible, morally upright president. And I don't think Trump can do that.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, yeah, Biden got the most votes ever. He smashed it. How do you do that such an unpopular figure? But <laughs> The other thing is, on that, Toby, they don't see DeSantis as a moderate. DeSantis is seen as hard-line by lefties or, you know, centrists. He's seen as hard-line in lots of ways. And actually, Trump, if you can look past, if you can do the signal and the noise, as Banner would say, if you look past the noise, the signal is actually Trump's policies are more liberal than DeSantis's. So actually, they could vote them. Yeah,
0: I, 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 it, we actually read an, another piece by Tony Morrison, actually, who's based in the US in The Daily Skeptic um, last week. Um, and it was all about the um, extraordinary effort that's being made by these various woke organizations like the AC, like the um, NAACP to smear uh, DeSantis as a racist and claiming that, you know, people of color are no longer safe in the state of Florida because he's so racist. He's such a white supremacist. I mean, all complete baloney, you know, more than 50 percent of Latinos who turned out to vote in the. 2022 gubernatorial election in Florida voted for DeSantis. There are more African American owned businesses in Florida than any other state in America, save for California. Um, So the, the, the attempt to smear him as a racist and his state smear Florida as somewhere where people of color can no longer be safe is absolutely ludicrous. But the reason they're going to these lengths, I think, is because they recognize that he'd be a more formidable opponent than Donald Trump.
1: All right. Well, there's always that argument. Um, We don't have too much time, so you have to go. So I was going to, I'll just briefly mention I was aware of the, um, this other thing that happened with the Babylon Bee, which is another big thing on Twitter versus Gavin Wax. This guy, Gavin Wax, is a a big Trump guy. And he, uh, he wrote a sort of slightly rude tweet to Christina Pulshaw, who's part of the DeSantis campaign. And then Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee publicly fired him. And so then this kicked off and got very nasty. And it just shows the danger of infighting on the Trump versus DeSantis side. It can get very nice. Trump had alleged that uh, DeSantis has been funding the Babylon Bee. He showed a picture of like $5,000 a month going to them or something like that. And so that's an interesting phenomenon. And I follow the whole Twitter space about it. I don't want to get too into it because people, if they haven't followed it, it's kind of more just, it's sort of soap opera. But it is, I don't know, there's a danger on 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 the conservative side of getting a bit too nasty in the Trump versus... DeSantis debate. Though I do think he can pull it back because he he said that lying Ted Cruz, you know, was a awful, and then he suddenly pulled that back. So I don't know. Maybe we can people can put their differences aside.
0: I don't know. Usually these um, these campaigns to secure the party nomination are pretty acrimonious, and um, a lot of bad blood uh, is spilt. But in the end, they generally put their differences aside and unite behind the successful candidate. Okay. All right. Well, that was Birdwatch.
1: And I believe we have one more ad,
0: Toby. So this is a message from the Stack Assistant. Why do so many people prefer TikTok to Tolstoy and rap to Rachmaninoff? Why are banksters and DEI managers paid so much more than nurses and teachers? Why is modern art so rubbish and modern buildings so crap? Why is science slumping into farmaganda and policy-based evidence-making? Why must so many couples work full-time these days? And why do so many care more about gender-free toilets than genuinely free speech? Could all these issues be linked? When saving pays off, families and societies strengthen. But the more the money is debased, the more they crumble. Short-termism and consumerism rise, savers are forced to speculate, and ever more choose to scam or steal. How much better would we all be if one could learn an honest skill, spend less than one earns, and save in an undebasable and strengthening money? Finally, we can choose such a money, Bitcoin. Skeptical? At the Stack Assistant, we offer free advice to help stack your first sats, as the subunits of Bitcoin are called, and securing your stack into self-custody. Email us at the Assistant, all one word, at pm.me. That's thestackassistant at pm.me.
1: All right. Thank you to the Stack Assistant. So now let's move on and do everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, I'll start with a quick one here about the Book of Mice and Men, a beloved book that, of course, some woke idiot is trying to remove. In this case, it's a Belfast student who is saying, that's racist. I don't think we should have to read this. That's racist. That's pretty much how they probably said it, and um, and it was it was a student who basically said, you know, even though even though obviously my cement is anti-racism, you know, never mind context. The fact that it just mentions these words is bad enough for this person. And there was a great quote which I've just lost where they said, "Um, I know it's history and stuff." That was my favorite bit. I was like, "What is this?" Because uh, I thought originally it was... Oh, yeah, here we go. Because I thought originally it was like a, a teacher saying, and then I realized it was a student, because they said, I understand the history behind it and stuff, but you can learn that in history about slavery. So they're basically arguing the usual thing that just the, the existence of racist, racial or racist slurs is enough. It doesn't matter if the context is that the author's saying they're bad. so They just want to ban it anyway. Another classic book, gone. What do you think? Not that they yeah. say this campaign will succeed. but
0: Yeah, I, I was contacted by the... Belfast newsletter about that one and gave them a quote I mean it's it's ridiculous I mean and it's certainly not the first time that of mice and men has you know provoked this kind of controversy but you know the n-word isn't used by John Steinbeck it's used by a character and not a particularly attractive character at that and the racial prejudice that um is it cookie uh the black uh, foreman, Crooks. Crooks. Uh, the black foreman experiences in *Of Mice and Men*, which has turned him uh, into quite a cruel, mean-spirited person. You know that is clearly condemned in the book. John Steinbeck was, you know, a uh, a, a, a fully paid-up, you know anti-racist um so it seems absolutely ridiculous um to to somehow think the book is racist or the book is triggering because one of the characters uses the n-word even though it's an anti-racist book um and you know if if a, if a student she's a GCSE student and she's a she's a, a woman a person of color um if, if 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 she's unable to kind of properly contextualize uh the n-word um when it appears in the book, if she can't distinguish between the author using the word as a racial epithet and a character using the word because it's in character, she can't discern the anti-racist message in of mice and men then she hasn't been properly taught you know uh, surely that's an elementary lesson that gcse english teachers should be imparting to their students you have to learn how to contextualize you've got to distinguish between authorial voice and the voice of a particular character if they can't do that then you know the school's the problem i think not the text so yeah it's ridiculous all right do you have a, a peak work Yeah, I was. um, uh, This is slightly old now, but um, because of the quite long gap between our recording our show and recording our live show and this one, um, uh, I've had it for a while. But um, Gary Lineker um, uh, uh, received uh, an Amnesty International Award in Rome last Wednesday um, for his activism. Uh, by which I think uh, Amnesty International meant or, or had in mind, uh, you know, his infamous tweet, which resulted in in him being, you know, temporarily suspended from Match of the Day. I mean, absolutely extraordinary that uh, you know Amnesty International, this once respectable organisation, I mean, still does some good work. Why are they Why are they engaging in this kind of attention grabbing behaviour, giving an award to a virtue signalling? ex-footballer. I mean, absolutely ridiculous and, to my mind, um, demeans the organisation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We covered that on Headliners. It was so so funny. And Lineker said that he'll carry on speaking his mind. He's basically going to carry on being a tit and he's vowed to do that. So good luck to him.
0: So much for his kind of agreement with the BBC, whereby um, he promised to refrain from social activism On Twitter until such time as the new rules had been agreed, because uh, it wasn't clear whether the BBC's social media policy applied to freelance contractors as well as employees, and they were supposedly going to hash this out. Um, But, you know, he just went straight back to it immediately. There was no pause, and now he's happily picking up awards for breaching the BBC's social policy, social media policy anyway. So,
1: anyway. I know. And what's insufferable about it is he gets to call himself a rebel, as Matt Goodwin has pointed out, about the new elite. They don't admit they're the elite. And, he's part, and he gets to pretend he's a rebel while obviously being part of, as much as part of the establishment as he could possibly be. But okay, I'm going to do this one from Cornell University. Speaking of the establishment, another Ivy League school going absolutely mental. So they... Have launched a five-hour virtual training course about how to be a better ally, specifically how white people can be better allies, and it's absolutely pathetic, as you'd expect. And it said here the faculty realized there was a need for skill-based virtual learning opportunities focused on racial allyship. There is never a need for th- <laughs> whatever that is. I mean, imagine thinking there's a need for that. So it's all about how you could be a white ally and. Um, Anti-black racism. It's, it's only funny how it's just like just one race, isn't it? I mean, what about Asians and so on? But it's it's this weird. It's just it's just another classic classic woke thing from an Ivy League university. So it's all about learning from your mistakes and embracing discomfort, integral to being a good ally. And it even has this really shocking bit where it gives you a ridiculous example where twenty years ago, when you were seventeen, you made a Facebook post, and it you just you made an incredibly racist Facebook post. About people being unemployed and lazy and stuff like this, and not being able to speak English, and it has this sort of role play. This post has resurfaced, and a coworker has brought it up with HR. So obviously, a total scumbag, grass for a start. And it's and you sure you, you and it's like, how do you respond to this? And the correct answer is apologize and explain that this is not who you are now, and that you will take some steps to educate yourself further. The usual creepy buzzwords about educate yourself. So. It, Gives you these weird scenarios and, and these creepy woke responses. It's absolutely gross. Anyway, and and that was Cornell University. It, it's it's fairly typical of what we see now, but but definitely a peak woke.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's actually similar to something that was pointed out to me uh, by a member of the Free Speech Union, actually an academic um, in Scotland, and he said that. Um, Uh, there's this this kind of lobby group slash charity within the higher education sector called Advance HE, which is responsible for promoting a lot of wokery. And um, Scottish HE, the Scottish branch of Advance HE, as you can imagine, is kind of even worse than the uh, English branch. And um, and they've recently kind of uh, encouraged their Scottish members, and every Scottish university is a member and helps finance um, Advance HE, Um, they've encouraged their Scottish university members um, to do more to tackle racism on campus and produce this guidance um, and sort of various things you can do, ways to identify white supremacy and, needless to say, being an advocate for free speech being a defender of academic freedom is often a tell uh, that someone is in fact a white supremacist, says this in a document which Scottish universities are being encouraged to um, disseminate amongst all their staff. I mean, absolutely incredible. But there it is. That's the world we're in. Um, I've got my, my next one was going to be um, my, my, my only my is it, is it my only other one this week, I don't know if you saw the brouhaha about um, Beatrice Potter. So she was she was accused by um, uh, uh, Emily Zobel Marshall, an academic uh, specialising in post-colonial literature. She was accused of cultural appropriation. So this um, uh, this uh, specialist in post-colonial literature argued that um, Potter had essentially plagiarised the um, uh, her, her children's stories from. African folk tales originally told by slaves on American plantations in the 19th century. Um, And it's not a completely incredible claim. Um, So many of those stories found their way into a book um, called, I think, Uncle Remus. um, And um, Beatrice Potter admitted to having read um, the Uncle Remus stories um, when she was a child so it's possible that they may have influenced you know her peter rabbit stories whatever um but um and someone else has now come come back and defended her um and said that um uh, you know that, that 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 she may have Heard these Uncle Remus tales, but she also heard a lot of other folk tales, fairy tales, old rhymes, and she weaved them all together. You know, part of the creative process to create her much-loved children's stories. I mean, it's just—it it, just—it's just a reminder of how ludicrous these accusations of cultural appropriation are, as if there are these kind of fences around different kind of ethnic and national cultures. And you can contain culture within these kind of ethno-nationalist corrals. And anyone taking bits from here and bits from there is engaging in a form of kind of colonialist exploitations. I mean, it's just a ludicrous kind of concept of, you know, of, of culture, the creative process. And it's also kind of implicitly racist. Why should cultures belong to particular ethnicities. I mean, it's always kind of, there are always multiple influences. It's always a kind of melting pot. But even if it wasn't, you know, the idea that, you know, claiming that certain cultural products belong to particular races and shouldn't be appropriated by others. I mean, should we in the West say, well, medicine belongs to us. So if you use it to cure yourself uh, of various dangerous diseases in the developing world that's cultural appropriation not allowed i mean it's just ridiculous anyway i'm sure yeah. it's preaching to the choir
1: well it's appropriation of, of my culture as well because beatrix potter was of course lived in cumbria and she she uh she, she lived with a she met her husband in hawkshead and then they lived just outside hawkshead and of course we have the world of beatrix potter which i went to as a child in lakes so yeah we love beatrix potter and uh and anyone who has who it, who wants to attack has to come through me. All right, that was uh, peak woke. Should we do some reviews quickly, Toby? Yeah. Okay. I thought I'd do one review that's just ridiculously nice about me, and then one that's nice about you to balance it out because you'll you'll hate this one. This one is called Nick is a genuine star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's ridiculous already. Every, see, you should read this one out, really, and I should read the other. Every week I listen to Nick Dixon's amusing and insightful take on the week's events. It is a breath of fresh air and a particular joy to find an avowed Christian practising what he preaches by looking after the befuddled old, older gentleman, Tommy, I think his name is, for an hour or two every week, so that his family can have some well-earned <laughs> respite. Well done, Nick. So that's that,
0: that, one. One, that one. That one signed N. Dixon, North London.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad about that one, but... Uh, that was fairly team, Nick. But here we go. Here's one for Toby, where Toby, you actually got a one-star review, but then they changed it, and they've given you five stars, realizing well, hey. the error of their ways. Yeah, this comes from Planet Normal Normie. And um, and they said edited, so the, it was originally uh, quite a harsh review, but it says edited, changed to five stars, as my one-star review was a bit harsh, given that 99.9% of the podcast where Toby doesn't say the C word is excellent, meaning sis. Or cishet. In all seriousness, I have immense respect for Toby, not least because of the FSU. I'm a paid up member, by the way. With the FSU, he has actually done something constructive about fighting the nonsense. Most people just talk about it. And I'm sure it takes a great deal of time and effort. I'm very grateful for the excellent work the FSU does. So there you go, Toby. They gave you one star just because you said cishet. And even if you said it in jest, they thought that was unacceptable. But they've upgraded to five stars after we mentioned it on the podcast. So there you go. Fantastic. And here's another great one to inform and entertain. The podcast is a perfect balance to the very popular, inverted commas, politics, political podcast at the top of the charts. I always look forward to it dropping. And that's obviously about Gary Lineker's ones and all you know, the goal hanger ones, Alistair Campbell, et cetera. And finally, someone says, a lifesaver. Feeling unsafe around the wokesters in your life? Protect yourself by listening to Nick, Toby, and Will, all peak blokes. So a good pun there.
0: So, thanks so much for your reviews. Thank you. Yeah, we should we should explain that uh, Will isn't actually on this episode of the Weekly Skeptic because he's on holiday, um, which means I'm having to um, uh, do the Daily Skeptic this week. So, I suppose I could have told you about the biggest stories we've done, but I have already told you about a couple. Um, uh, I should just I, I just want to briefly take um, a, a minute to talk about what is the Free Speech Union's biggest victory to date. So. Um, a civil servant in the Department for Work and Pensions called Anna Thomas um, in 2020 noticed, in the wake of the uh, of George Floyd's death and the BLM movement, that the DW, DWP was embracing a lot of. Um, Uh, uh, A lot of the kind of uh, uh, ideological currents that were swirling around at that particular moment. It set up an anti-racism hub. Uh, It quoted in this anti-racism hub, which was circulated to all the DWP employees from Ibrahim X. Kendi's. Uh, book in which he says, you know, it's not enough to not be a racist, you have to be actively anti-racist. And unless you're an anti-racist, you're essentially a racist, one of the kind of tenets of critical race theory. It also advised employees of the DWP to think of racism like COVID, just assume you've got it. I mean, quite unbelievable. And it also promoted gender-critical, uh, gender identity ideology and was a Stonewall diversity champion. And this civil servant, she was um, she, she, she was uh, uh, worked in um, the Southwest trying to uh, encourage people back into the workplace. She was a work coach. Um, she raised a couple of flags, pointed out that um, a lot of the materials being disseminated in the wake of George Floyd's death were... Uh, political and that was a breach of the Civil service code which requires the civil service to be politically impartial. Uh, she even raised a whistleblowing concern and she was essentially placed under investigation and eventually fired for gross misconduct. Um, pretty shocking particularly as you know the civil service is constantly going after non-woke employees for supposedly breaching the Civil service code when they breach it all the time at least as far as political impartiality is concerned. and a lot of this was coming from the top from the permanent secretary, not not from you know junior employees. Uh, It was was top-down political indoctrination um, in this civil service department. Completely inappropriate. She was absolutely right to call it out. She was fired for her trouble, and we helped her. Luckily, she was a member of the Free Speech Union. We helped to prepare a case in the Employment Tribunal against the DWP for unfair dismissal, belief discrimination and harassment. And rather than face her in court, they settled. They made her a very generous offer, £100,000 in compensation. So she accepted that. That's the biggest financial uh, victory for the Free Speech Union to date um and um yeah just wanted to mention that if you are concerned about um what might happen to you at work if you draw attention to the rampant politicization of your workplace uh the um Uh, promotion of a very political version of D.I.E., promotion of anti-racism and gender identity ideology, being told you have to use pronouns in your email signatures, all the rest of it that's happening in every workplace up and down the country. If you're worried about what might happen to you, if you speak up, if you raise any objection to this process of politicization, join the Free Speech Union, because if you get into trouble, we'll have your back.
1: All right. Great work from the FSU. Well done, Toby. And I think, is that everything for this week? Anything else you want to add?
0: I think it is everything. And the reason we're doing it early, of course, is because I'm off to Oxford to see Kathleen Stock speak at the Oxford Union. That's that's happening today. And one student has predicted a riot. Um, supposedly more than a thousand LGBTQ plus protesters are going to be picketing the union to try and prevent people getting in no doubt they will be making a lot of noise outside and creating as big a fuss as they can i thought it was important to go down show my solidarity with kathleen and uh, so that's where i'm off that's where i'm off to this afternoon and why we had to do this one early sorry about that Nick.
1: wow absolutely shocking times when kathleen stock is the hate figure for the left talk about jumping the shark But anyway, all right. Well, good luck with that, Toby. And um, stay safe, as they used to say. And um, until next week, stay skeptical.
0: Stay skeptical.